0: Hello and welcome to the DMBA Podcast, where we share business confidence with the design community. In this episode, I have both Franz and Tom with me. Hey, Franz. Hey, Tom. Hey. Hello, hello. We're going to do a special episode, something we discussed last time and we thought it could be a cool new format to try out. And yeah, you may have noticed that we're trying a lot of new formats lately. So this is one of those things. Got to find some,
1: some format that works eventually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and we may have found it. Let's see. Mm. So it's something we just, uh, work in progress, the, decided to call business design teardown. So we're going to take uh, certain interesting uh, brands or companies, something that our community loves So brands and companies that designers love, and we're going to basically have a look at those from the business perspective. We're going to apply our business brains to it.
1: Is that all you can do with selling our new concept? No, I mean, I I (laughs) wanted to give some space for you, to you, Brian, so you can sell it further. Go ahead. Come on, we're going to take companies that are awesome because, for example, we wear it every day or we watch it every day. Um, but we don't really think about how they do stuff and are they even successful? And we thought this would be really cool to talk about it. Like, is this company that I'm wearing and I love so much actually successful from a business perspective? Are they doing some weird stuff maybe, or are they doing only great stuff? So we're trying to find this out and chat about it. Did we forgot to mention
0: something about the concept Dom?
1: Because no. it's your brain brainchild as well. Well, you know,
2: we'll, we'll see how this goes. I think um, you've both summed it up pretty well, but I would say one of the, when it comes to learning new concepts, right, business stuff, and we talked about this in um, another recent pod where we were answering people's questions in the mailbag. You should definitely check out that format as well. Uh, another new one we've been playing with was, how can I find interesting ways to um, learn about business concepts rather than it just being really dry that, one was, that question was specifically around metrics and Alan suggested, look, dive into the financials of like mm. a football team you love or a business you love and find that hook and that'll really draw you in. And so we really think that using businesses that designers love as a sort of case study could be a really good way for people to start gaining a bit of knowledge, seeing examples in the wild, um, particularly for brands that sort of we maybe affiliate with a little more. Mm-hmm. So it's really just using these brands um, that we love or hate. There's going to be people who hate some of these brands, and rightfully so. Um, but whatever kind of gets you interested, uh, and we're going to tear down a whole bunch of aspects, brand strategy, financials, um, and just see what we can uncover.
1: That was the best pitch. <laughs> the best out of the three. <laughs>
2: Pitch X Factor. (laughs) I should have just just let you I'm through to
0: boot camp. (laughs) And if you're watching this on YouTube, you may already kind of have the idea for which company we chose uh, today to kind of dissect and tear down because I'm wearing a funny-looking hat with a special logo on top. But (laughs) maybe let's start with those who, who are not watching on YouTube. What are you wearing today, Tom?
2: I am wearing, and I'm going to comment on your your hat in a second. Um, I'm intentionally wearing this brand today. And it, I, we were going to do a sort of introduction to the pod where it was like a bit of a teaser. Like, can you, can you guess who the brand is that we're tearing down today? And then realized um, that it's going to be in the title, <laughs> whether you're listening to it or watching it. <laughs> so there's no real um, anticipation unless like you should be, just pressing play on a new DNBA podcast when it arrives, regardless, without even looking at it. Um, but we're, we're talking today about a brand that I'm wearing. This is the City Sweat hoodie of Lululemon. Um, and Alan is, I mean, looks very convincing, your uh, <laughs> your, your, your Lululemon hat. Um, good, Great knockoff. I would say the one thing that I would pull out We're going to touch on this later. Is that um, Lululemon don't tend to really put their logo on their stuff, and that's one of the things that we'll touch on that Mm. tends to kind of mark it out. One one of the reasons a lot of people Mm. love it is it's not too flashy with with logos. Baseball caps aside, actually, they do do a sort of stitch. You see, stitch logo. They don't go with the kind of post-it note drawn out. um, Uh, We now need to
1: reveal. To all listeners, and not watchers, what's actually going on here. <laughs> so Alan wears a baseball cap and he drew the Lululemon logo on a post-it and stuck it to his forehead. This is what we're looking at. Right That's what now. we're looking
2: at. Yeah, yeah. It's very convincing. I highly recommend pulling up the YouTube version just for, for that alone. So um, yeah, Lululemon are the um, first brand that we're going to gonna dive into. So um, maybe I should just start off by kind of giving a bit of background to the company um, and then a bit of why designers, um, well, well, why lots of people like Lululemon, but there's a few reasons I think that they, um, designers kind of, I've taken I'm, the brand to heart. Mm-hmm. I,
1: need to de- I need to interrupt you because everybody sure. told everyone what they're wearing. Oh, what are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I am wearing an Adidas t-shirt. Ah, so you are. Yes. I am uh, because I've actually worked for Adidas for four years, even ah. five. Yeah. So Don't that was they? my job during my student days. I was working in like on-site marketing and I was training um I was training retail like clerks on right. innovations, new products. I was hosting events. So that was on the one hand really nice to learn like how to present to people, but on the other mm. hand, it's like sports industries is always emotions. Like it's mm. always you go to an event, your job is obviously to represent the brand in a way that the brand's image should be so you want to be in a good mood you want to be the sporty person um you wanna yeah just psych people up um Mm. and honestly i really enjoyed doing this so that was a great um, job and my closet is still full of adidas some parts from the time that i was working there because it's actually Mm. lasting other parts new because I'm still brainwashed. I got to be honest. Like whenever I see stuff, then I'm like, nice sneaker. Is it Adidas? Yeah, it's Adidas. I can buy it.
2: <laughs> interesting. I, th- I mean, maybe topic for another pod, but I find the Adidas, particularly the big big names, right? The Adidas, Nike, different approaches, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I always felt like Adidas have not quite, still on a uh, marketing level, don't quite, attached on that emotional level like nike do i think no one beats them when it comes to that part and i think the brand we're going to talk about today lululemon do 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 this pretty well as well but um yeah are you gonna to have to pick your brains on what you're feeling at the moment is it the sambas revival we'll, we'll talk about that another time but um so yeah franz is letting the side down by wearing adidas um <laughs> he hasn't even put a knockoff logo on it like alan did but um lululemon so Founded in Vancouver in Canada. A lot of people think they're an American company because, I mean, most of their stores are in the States. Like 300 odd uh, of the over 500, like massive presence there. But actually founded by a Californian, but um, started in Vancouver uh, in 1988, 1998 uh, by a chap called Chip Wilson. He'd already um, had experience kind of
0: started by a guy.
2: Yeah, by a chap called Chip, uh, Chip Wilson. Yeah, it's um, Interesting because they were, weren't they? Like focused just on women in the beginning. Completely massive focus on the female market, and still do now. Still, the majority of their um their their market is is female. But yeah, and um. He noticed this trend for yoga and he had this kind of rule that if he saw something kind of mentioned three times in the same day or in a very short space of time, that was a trend that he wanted to kind of latch onto. And he'd done this with um, skateboarding and snowboarding in the past and had worked and built an apparel brand um, in those arenas and then saw that yoga was, was starting to really... Um, take hold particularly where he was living at the time attended a yoga class and it was all women apart from him he was the only uh, man there and because he had this background in apparel um, and in fabrics and his mum was a seamstress he'd kind of grown up around um, uh, kind of manufacturing of, of clothing he noticed that what they were wearing was really unsuitable for yoga it was like heavy cotton um, and he was like, there's a massive opportunity here to design a new product that is stylish, um, comfortable, sweat wicking, um, a real, real different type of clothing to wear for this new pursuit that was just becoming enormously popular. And with a, you know, 99% of the time kind of female base. So, yeah, absolutely right. Massive focus on the female market. Um enormous amount of research into what women need from their clothing which usually the other way around right usually sports apparel brands are male first women second and that probably is reflected in the way that things are constructed they're maybe not always suitable for that market so one of the first brands really to be like what do women need from from this kind of apparel uh, and designing from from that perspective so um yeah, and the, the Lou Lemon and, and Chip basically carved out this corner of the market, invented the yoga pant, um, which has now kind of become just an absolute staple, right? Um, and, it, and invented this segment, which is now known as athleisure, which is enormous, like $300 billion a year segment now, of which. Um, Lulu is kind of still a leader in the luxury part of that. And that's the other bit that they did that no one had really done before was make workout wear luxury, bring that premium angle, which I'm sure we'll uh, get into a bit more. Since then, obviously expanded well outside of just yoga. Does all kinds of pursuits, um, all kinds of workout wear, shorts, joggers, tops, the works, water bottles, really, really heavily expanded. And in 2013... Going to menswear, so n- f- quite a long time just focus on on uh, women's apparel. Um, I think I don't want to kind of get into too much more before passing over to both of you when it comes to kind of brand positioning and growth. Mm. Um, but I do have a few fun facts mm. that I'd like to share with you about um, about Lululemon. So Chip Wilson called it Lululemon intentionally with lots of L's in there because apparently. L's like linguistically aren't like a thing in Japanese language, apparently. like Are um, not or are? Aren't. So um, linguistically, the L either isn't in the alphabet or um, is not something that's vocalized very easily or very often. So he wanted to choose a brand name that would come across as very Western. Right. And that that would be authentically Western and an appealing aspect of the brand in that territory. And he'd done a lot of work in Japan, knew that, that was a big market. He'd grown kind of snowboarding brands out there. Um, so yeah, that's why it's called Lululemon with all the all the L's. Interesting. Um, when the first store opened, this is like horrifying. I can't imagine ever doing this. Um, there was a publicity stunt with the first 30 people who turned up. Naked to the store would get the product for free. I can't think of anything worse personally, but it created this kind of publicity storm, lots of coverage um, <laughs> in the press. There different times, for sure. <laughs> different yeah, times.
1: Okay, I was just about to say 1998, just let this there. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Luckily, not much social media, you know, not, not lots of smartphones. Still happens uh, in uh, Berlin
0: cameras. with the clubs and stuff.
2: Oh, uh, yes. Mm-hmm apparently yeah but that's more uh, on brand at least yes true uh and then the final thing is they're famous for um their men's pants which i'm a fan of are called the abc yeah. pants do either of you know what that stands for or can you guess
0: no idea it did the only uh connection i have with abc is from like uh, one of the sales books and it means always be closing and I'm assuming this is not the case. It's for not it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's just say it's to do with comfort and it's called uh, anti-ball crushing technology. Mm. A very uniquely designed gusset that makes, uh, makes it very, very their uh, trousers, as we call them over here, very, very comfortable. So yeah, a few little fun facts there. Nice. Anything you'd like to add in the background before I sort of jump into why people kind of like the brand and designs in particular
0: i just have questions for you because i wanted to know how you came in touch with lululemon and how you became a fan unless france has any questions nope no um
2: i i, I started wearing their stuff a couple of years ago when i started seriously getting into like um fitness mm-hmm. so started seeing a pt uh, every week um have done for a few years now and wanted some like high quality stuff that was kind of more nicely designed than the stuff I had already. Um, And also more conveniently with stuff that I could sort of wear to the gym, which is on the way to work and then not have to get changed. Um, So that is definitely one of the areas where they excel. And that is part of their sort of design ethos is this is stuff that crosses over. You know, you can wear the joggers and the T-shirts in the office and it doesn't look like you're there in your sort of...
1: Three stripes Adidas. The three stripes,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No sense <laughs> <laughs> to
1: brands who's... Taking on um, myself. You're
2: <laughs> absolutely rocking rocking the brand. But um it has that that crossover. And the technology and the materials as well is like designed to like not, not be stinky, <laughs> basically. So for me, it was that. Um and yeah, just like the cut and the and what I, I mean, this is a privileged thing to be able to do and I um, um, uh, aspire to doing. But I'm trying to buy much fewer clothes um, and just fewer things in my life generally, and just make sure they're a bit higher quality. So I've been a lot more intentional with the products I buy, and was looking for brands that are known to have that kind of high quality. Gonna last a long time um, and just have a few items. So that would that very much kind of aligned with what I try and do these days as far as any consumption. I realise that is a privilege to buy usually more expensive items that last longer. Um, and Lululemon is expensive. Um, so yeah, a couple this of years
0: saying I've heard a few times, which is like, uh, I don't have enough to buy cheaply. I've Mm -hmm. heard from a few people, like uh, it basically says that like when you buy something that at a cheaper price, uh, it just breaks down more frequently. And then at the end, it ends up being more expensive than if you just went for the more high quality option. Obviously again, this is like from the perspective of the privilege, but uh, I think it's for certain like product categories, it's definitely true. Like you, then you need to buy two pairs of shoes instead of just one that kind of mm. doesn't rip
2: yeah absolutely I've, I've you know taken this approach with like outdoor stuff and footwear um i don't have a very big house <laughs> yeah, either <laughs> what's he got there another logo he's got another stick another logo <laughs> stuck on his glass Working um, for it. from 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 uh prototyping it but yeah from my perspective, that was it, really. And I went on a bit of a – I bought a lot of their stuff in uh, in one go um, and have basically been wearing that stuff for a few years now. I haven't really bought any new items from them for a long time. And part of that is because, thankfully, like their styles don't change very often. It's very kind of minimal, um, clean cuts, um, no logos, and kind of sort of – I don't want to say timeless because it's not like high fashion – but the stuff's gonna look just as acceptable in probably another few years. Um, so for me, I've already touched on a few of the things I think that white appeals. Um, so yeah, I think it's that design and functionality piece. It's like minimal cuts, clean lines, not too flashy. You can wear it across work at home, mm-hmm. which is which is great. Um, I'm somebody who likes to optimize as well, so you know I think a lot of designers do, and my day. Is easier if i don't have to keep switching out stuff Um, and the quality right well made they have like t-shirts which i've got a few of called the five-year t which is basically this t-shirt should last you five years like wear it day every day wash it all the time shape stays um and you know i think designers care about sustainability and quality Mm. um and so that kind of for me draws in on that really nicely um and yeah, they invest heavily in like products and innovation. That's interesting, right? Like, like I say, the the, the fit of things like the the bottoms, the chokers, and stuff like that, just like super comfy. You can watch the YouTube stuff, read the stuff on on their website. And you're like, yeah, there's a lot of thought that's gone into how these are constructed. They, they're going to last. They're going to be really comfortable. Um, and then from a brand perspective, I think it's appealing when that they've got like serious levels of consistency of brand right across like they own every aspect of it from the like material development to the design um, to the store experience and online it it really feels like it's really vertically integrated which is i'm sure something we'll touch on a bit more and consistently and consistency and fit as well once you know your size in their stuff like it's just you know it's going to be really reliable um and then I think there is that aspirational, aspirational aspect that Franz already touched on, and might go into a bit more of like the way they market themselves, the way they position the brand of being like. I, I think you know most sports brands do this, though. I don't think this is unique to Lululemon of like the the visuals of like you're going to be an outdoorsy, physical person who cares for their well being just by wearing the t-shirt you know there's a lot of psychology around how they they position that a big part of their position is around community as well um which again probably touch on when we get into brand strategy a little bit more um so yeah i'm rocking a bit of it today so uh, i think that's probably enough of me waffling on about <laughs> why, why i'm a fan um and maybe we can get a little more into into some of the nitty-gritty of um of the, the brand and the strategy
1: Um, gotta say, Tom, you almost took away all my points. (laughs) Sugar. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I'm going to start differently. This is why I'm going to ask you a question, not both of you. So what is strategy even?
2: Just generally?
1: Yeah. What is, what is a strategy?
2: I'm to, I've i been talking long enough. I'm going to pass this to this hot potato, to Alan, to, for you to build on.
0: Well, you know, my my definition, it's deciding what to do and not to do in a business sense. So what you invest in and what you not invest in. So you're looking for the trade off decisions.
1: Yeah. Great job, Alan. Thank you. You made it. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I was thinking about. So I was thinking about, okay, what's now the company's strategy in terms of what are they, what have they decided to to do and what have they decided to not do? And let's say regular listeners to our podcast also not only know this, what to do and what not to do and trade off story, but also that the most defendable strategies are the ones that are somewhat different to an arena's dominant approach um, rather than focusing on taking on ideas with a better soccer shoe, right? So it's, Um, being different. So now a lot of things have already been brought up. I'm going to start with the core difference that now seems super um, logical, but in 1998, it was not logical at all. So this core trade-off or differentiation was combining luxury luxury fashion with athletic wear. So two Mm. things that are now kind of Very apparent when you walk streets, you see people in leggings or me wearing a, I don't know, I don't really even know what these pants are called, but I know I can wear it to the gym and I can also wear it to almost every leisure event and they're comfy. So this athleisure, as they called it, this was not a thing, right? So they actually pioneered these two things um, with a higher price points, absolutely no discounts, a premium product, a lot of, as you already said, proprietary fabrics and own development, um, limited releases, what only like um, luxury brands would do. And like doing this for products that were formerly utilities, right? Things mm. you would buy to do sports. Uh, so this combination of um, luxury brand and sportswear was completely new. But the interesting thing is that it's not just a like a combination. It's not just a luxury sports brand, right? There is more to that. They made more unique strategic choices that kind of positioned in the market. So, guessing game: what are the other, let's say, unique choices? And we already had some of them today um, that they took in order to be different from the rest of the market. Focus on just female. Correct. Focus
0: just on yoga in the beginning. Also correct. Um
2: I'm not sure actually. Yeah, I can't think of any others other than those two as like core core differentiators. Being
0: premium? That's another, I think, I mean, going back yeah, to I the Yeah, I think generic. that was
1: already in the in the first one, in the core difference. But yes, it's also yeah. a difference. Yeah, it, so I think the first thing was really the smartness of if I want to start a company, I am going into a niche that's big enough for me, but small enough or too small for one of the big ones, right? Mm-hmm. So yoga in 1998, Adidas, Nike, they were like, whatever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that doesn't really move our needle, right? But for a small company winning the yoga market, okay, that's a good business. Let's Mm -hmm. see where we go from there. So this finding a niche that is underserved, but big enough to have a company. That's the the first one, right? So next one, women approach. So women, women first approach, we already talked about this generally sports or a lot of markets are dominated by male managers and designers there is this system of that's the bigger market, so we need to go after them and then it will dribble down to the other side. Um so in this case it was completely different. That and that also that was not apparent at all in the sportswear industry because it was always the other way around. Um so that was definitely completely different. Um next one, Tom, you actually touched upon this community approach. Mm. So now something with social media that is quite easy to do and quite logical to do. But again, at this point in time, being different also meant, hey, I'm going to have a yoga class as part of my company. I'm going to build this community. I'm going to actively talk to them. Um, so making your buyers, your friends and promoters, that's something that they Um, did differently to other sports and especially luxury brands because luxury brands are usually like, no. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good point.
2: Usually a bit standoffish, a bit kind of, um,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, aloof even, but yeah, really interesting. I think I I read that like the first store was like a hybrid kind of place to buy the um, clothes, but also a place to talk about fitness and wellness and do yoga classes way before community became such like the aspects that it is now in, yeah. in business strategy.
1: And then the interesting thing is exactly this pairing with luxury and community, right? So sports and community kind of go together. You're in a, I don't know, whatever sports class, you do this together, but luxury and community, luxury is more like exclusivity and you're mm-hmm. kind of want to be different and not together with others. Um, but bringing this together is a really interesting approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you just mentioned Source, Tom. Yes. That's definitely also a differentiation from their perspective because direct to consumer wasn't really a thing and still isn't such a big thing mm. in the sportswear industry, right? So you might have brand stores like flagship stores of Nike and, and stuff, but their main channel is third party. Yeah. And for, um, Lululemon, its actually main channel is direct to consumer, and also um, when you think uh, when you look at numbers, um, their direct to consumer channels still grow much faster than third party channels. So in twenty twenty, this is the latest number that I found. They had ninety two percent growth in direct to consumer sales, so shops and online shop, and only only twenty one percent in third party stores. Right. Mm. So that's quite interesting that usually, because a brand store is usually not your sales driver. Your brand mm. store is your marketing machine for taking nice pictures and being in the biggest street of a city, maybe just 10 cities worldwide. So it's usually not a sales driver, but for um, Lululemon it actually is. And it also really helped them to have these fast innovation cycles, being in touch with users. Um, and being this vertically integrated brand, from design and and developing fabrics down to selling it directly to to users. Yeah. Yeah. I also found some data
0: on this. So forty six percent of the revenue comes from direct to consumer.
1: Ah, you found this data? Yeah. This is from. I was the... looking for this nice research, skills, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you later how I found it. Yeah. I mean, to all of you. But yeah, forty six percent direct to
0: consumer. So this is uh, basically e commerce. Mm-hmm. And then 45%, so equal, basically, is from stores. And then the the remaining 9% is um, certain wholesale accounts or temporary locations or outlets and so on. So, yeah, it's pretty impressive. So yeah. e-commerce mm-hmm. and brands are equal. Mm, that is interesting. Yeah, the stores
2: aspects. Yeah, I'd never really thought about the facts that, yeah... <laughs> I mean they've got hundreds of stores and like you say for a lot of sportswear brands it's nike town it's that flagship store um and it's interesting the way they tie the community aspect into the store piece because um one of the things i learned about them is that the managers of the stores have a lot of autonomy over how they run their stores as well the layout the color schemes all of that kind of stuff they sort of give a lot of trust over people tend to stick around because of that autonomy and they promote heavily from within as well. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a real community aspect to the way that the business is run internally as well. I think they've put an awful lot of investment into progression frameworks and um, internal wellness, um, again, ahead of probably a lot of other brands that are now uh, picking up more and more on the importance of that.
1: Yep. I only got one more. Differentiator. Now it's obvious, but back then, value-driven sportswear company wasn't really right. I think. So, so they've been like this from the beginning. Yeah, mm. that's what I that's what I ask myself. So now, obviously, they are this brand focusing on be human, be planet, be I don't know what's the third one. So really strong and outward communicated let's say corporate social responsibility picture. And we all are not impressed by this anymore, I guess, because everybody Mm -hmm. tries to do this. So I was like, is this like now (laughs) because everybody does it or is this like always? Um, And apparently uh, that was something that they focused on early on with some mishaps on the way. And that's what happens to many companies. We're going to talk about this later when we talk about threats. But yeah, they actually um, really try to go after sustainable business practices and ethical business practices from day one with taking care of or thinking about labor and where they produce their um, goods, um, also empowering employees. uh, And this obviously helps building a brand if you can trust that, right? If you Mm -hmm. have actually reason to believe that it's more than just the three values on the on the website. And it seems that it was uh, the case from the beginning and mostly throughout its history. <laughs> interesting.
2: I'm looking forward to getting into the bits you talk about later, the threats, because you've mentioned a lot of things that was, have been like real moats for them for a long time that yeah. now we take for granted. So yeah, that'll mm. be interesting.
0: Yeah. But it sounds to me like it's the story of a focus. So if you're trying to understand why they have been successful until now, and that we discussed it uh, today in our teams meeting, like there has been this research, what is the most important thing for companies, whether they will succeed or not. And this was done on, uh, research was done mostly on like small startups, which were VC backed, because they were trying to understand, you know, like, is it based on the team's expertise? Is it on the product quality, location of the company, timing, and so on. And you know what the result was timing, timing is the most important thing. And if you go back to 1998, the, the Lululemon, um, now looking back, I think we can all agree it was like super innovative and it was, it just had the right time in finding an interesting niche that was growing very, very fast. And it still took 25 years to get to the stage where it is today, but it's like focus on a specific niche that has a big potential over time. And even within this niche, have a focus and further on, on just one particular customer segment. Obviously that's one part of the story. Another one is like just being good with creating a product, having enough, um, you know, good execution of the branding, good execution of uh, like, the the distribution and so on, but yeah, yeah, that this is one of the basic things when when looking at these stories when starting uh, uh, starting out is like can I own my own category, and companies that create categories have a really good chance of also being then the winners, big winners, yeah, financial winners, if I may say, mm. because that next we go topic to numbers? exactly good segue
1: unless you want to learn more about competitive landscape. I'm going to cover
0: it a little bit in the financials, but uh, as you will.
1: Mm, I'm just thinking what's a good order, because yeah, I did find it interesting to have a look at, I mean, one part of analyzing a strategy also means looking at competitors. And I was just about to think, okay, who are they? Um, and I also thought about what, who might be challengers for them. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be quick with that. Okay. I'm going to give you a quick picture of competitive landscape. I gave them also good names, I think. (laughs) So, (laughs) so the market is like $300 billion big in 2021. And there are, a group of companies, I just think about how to phrase it so I can make it a game. There is a group of company that owns 69% of this market. Mm-hmm. Who are these companies? Which market? Now we're talking just at leisure or something else? No, athletic wear. Athletic wear. So this includes yeah. basketball shoes. Anything that you wear for
0: sports. Okay. I mean, Adidas, Nike, Puma. Stop. I did that a Nike 69%. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs>
1: it's
0: wild. Isn't it? And
1: stop. <laughs> it's crazy. 69% of uh, this market is in the hands of two companies. Okay. So these are our, um, let's say, grandparents. I call them grandparents. Okay. So they're like super old companies and big, big um, winners of this market still. Then there is the next group. I call them all time seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Puma.
0: Yes. Uh um, Under Armour? Yes. New Balance? <laughs> yes.
2: I love New Balance. They are on the <laughs>
0: What's this new uh Roger Feather brand on? Or something? Ah, doesn't
1: count. Oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. yeah. True Essex. So these the thing with now we're back at strategy. Why will they be all time seconds? Because they're just the same. Like how is Adidas different from Puma, Under Armour? Like there is like subtle difference. Subtle differences, not there. But but in the end, they are like kind of the kind of the smaller version of. Nobody will like this when they (laughs) if they work for these companies and they hear this. But I think from perception, and I've worked in this industry, it's like, yeah. When I see Lululemon, I'm like, okay, yeah, different. But when I see the all-time seconds, I'm like, they are always going to be at 7%. They will never grow. They will never maybe lose. But Puma is never going to, like, so that's not going (laughs) to happen.
0: Puma is is a good example. I think it's a prime example for always second or
1: what's the name of the
0: category? Yeah,
1: all-time seconds. All-time seconds.
2: Puma feels to me like the kind of brand that has tried to cover a whole bunch of those are the, the same sports you know very broad whereas i tend to think of like definitely a6 new balance under armor they do a com- they, they're kind of working to a much smaller set of sports yeah. and pursuits um, and that feels intentional um and so i i yeah because I, I obviously they're nowhere near the size of the likes of nike and Adidas, but i do feel like they niche down more into, into their sort of specialism. Yeah,
1: when it comes to choosing the sports they're active in, definitely. But within this, it's pretty like ASICS is running, Under Armour, I think it's very good in like American football. Mm. Um, yeah, true, interesting. true that. Um, now we're getting into the smaller but interesting ones, luxury apparel brands following into athleisure. Chanel, Versace. Uh, oh really? Yes. Ones. Okay. I had.
2: I mean, there might be some other brands you're going to come up with. There's a few more that I sort of thought would would be uh, in that category. I don't know how much they do. They do much in. I mean, I obviously am not the kind of person wearing Versace. I <laughs> um, do I they didn't do not.
1: This was a classic Googling exercise, ChatGPT okay. exercise. <laughs> I was like, okay, somebody from the from the um, luxury like Bucket must have followed them, right? Because it's obvious. Uh, And it seems like that a lot of them did. Um, I think first mover even was Stella McCarthy together with Adidas. I was part of this launch Um, because that was in like 2010. So that was a huge, I think almost a move into this luxury athletic, but still being able to wear this outside. Um, But this was still Adidas. So I was looking for are there any other like fashion, high end fashion brands? And yeah, it seems like it's the case that they're going after Mm. this market as well. Not sure how successful though. And they didn't do the research. Um, Then we have holy e commerce brands. Holy. Should we have a guess? Holy. Holy. Oh, like godly or not <laughs> uh, Not holy, but with a Only e commerce. Uh, so only e commerce direct to consumer.
2: In in the athleisure world, I think mm. of, and I don't know if they're only direct to consumer actually. I only think of them online as like um, Aloe Yoga and Gymshark. They're yeah. the two big competitors I think of.
1: Gymshark grew 70% in
2: 2021. Wow. I, I tend to think of that, I, I can see how they're a competitor. I do tend to see them more as like very functional gym wear, though. I don't feel yeah. like it crosses over quite as nicely as Lululemon, whereas Alu Yoga, it feels like it's the yeah. same silhouettes and mm. very, very similar um, Just cheaper, kind of probably. positioning. Interesting in approach,
1: Joe, because potentially a threat because of cost structure, right? So you're not, like, you don't have to have the same price point if you're not first mover, if you don't have a brick and mortar store. And you can benefit from good community, good marketing, and just follow the breeze that um, Lululemon created. Mm. So that's definitely an interesting category. And the last one that I have is everybody can be a creator. Startups, like it's almost like craft beer, you know, this craft beer um, wave that we had some years ago. It feels like there is the same with apparel brands like if you are if you have a follow if you're a fitness influencer and you have a following base it's you create your own apparel like this mm. because of um, accessible supply chain and because of a strategy or a business model shift in the supply chain of apparel because there's a lot of white label stuff right now it, it, like it, earlier it was really hard to be able to produce on a mass scale um apparel and now it's it's almost like you can it's easy you can there is companies that specialized in white label production and being able to produce also lower quantities of apparel and it's an easy job to get into um um having your own apparel company mm. and th- maybe that doesn't include your own proprietary fabrics but who knows maybe um that's going to grow. But I feel like it's an interesting yeah. uh, bucket of companies mm. um, because it's so grassroots and it has a bit purely on social. And um, yeah, that's why I found it interesting. And that's why it made one bucket in my arena. Are there more buckets? No, that's
0: it. But like, even if you look at this, the interesting think- observation is you have pressure from both sides. So if you're Lululemon, there's pressure from newcomers and then there's pressure from the big ones, the big companies. So you have Adidas and Nike obviously going after you, but then you also have all these influencers and smaller brands. I mean, just here, like in Slovenia, there have been like three or four successful legging brands launched in the last three, four years from people with good social media following. And it just seems to be the thing, like it seems to be the new wave. Instead of me mm. creating the meal supplement or uh, yeah, food supplement, I'm creating leggings. And yeah, it does seem to be going better than with food supplements thinking. But yeah, anyway, I think you have this pressure from both sides. And that is tricky. You know, that is tricky. You need really need to then defend well from both sides.
1: Yeah.
2: When are the DMBA, um leggings coming out, Alan?
1: <laughs> we were thinking of hoodies
0: Ah. Yeah. Who and we already first? have
1: stickers. But the problem is everything is digital. What are we doing? So I have a bunch of stickers at home, but who am I gonna hand it to? Mm. <laughs> I can <laughs> hand it out on crosswalks when somebody crosses the road and I'm like, here's a D for you. <laughs> we just
0: bring them to the meetups, yeah. So I still have hundreds of them here. Um Yeah. Going into the finance? Yeah. So France um, gave me a thumbs up on my research because I found data he didn't, and maybe what I would <laughs> first start with is just how you usually do this. Like, how do you have a look at finances? So, Lululemon is a publicly traded company, so it means you can buy its stocks. It means that it must. It is required for this type of companies to share their. Uh, financial data online. So if you just go on Lululemon and type in, or if you just go on Google and type in uh, Lululemon annual report or quarterly report, you're going to get the last report that the company has uh, shared with its investors. So even if you're not an investor, even if you're just curious about a company, you can use this to find all kind of interesting data points. Uh, it does look a little bit thick. It's a lot of text. It definitely wasn't designed by a designer. It was just, you know, it's it just looks like an ugly word uh, document, but there is a lot of really, really useful stuff in there. And I'm going to share a few things that I found in the document plus some additional things. And we're going to start with just the revenue. And I think we talked about it in the last episode, in one of the last episodes, that the very first thing I usually have a look at is just, you know, the revenue of the company and how big the company is. So before we even go into the exact number, I'm just going to, Francis and Tom, I'm going to give you a few other companies, the name of other companies, and you're going to tell me if they have more revenue or less revenue than Lululemon.
1: Okay. Okay. So more or less refers to the other company. Yeah no you, so if you, you are, say, if you if you say example, Adidas I um, say more because I think Adidas has more revenue. Yeah. For okay example. so let's
0: do a test. So does Adidas or Lululemon have more revenue? Franz says Adidas. Adidas Adidas. Okay that's easy. Okay, okay good. So I was just yeah. That was go a good on. test. <laughs> then the next one is let's have a look at uh, maybe maybe a more trickier one. What do you think who has more revenue? Under Armour or Lululemon? Hmm uh that's
2: really good. Good one, Lululemon. I was going to say Lululemon as well, but I, I think that's because I' did a bit of a blind spot moment for me with Under Armour around what they what they do. But yeah, Lululemon.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, both of you are correct. So Lululemon does have more
1: revenue than Under Armour. So can I say say one thing? You looked it up today, or <laughs> no? Before my research, yeah, I so I only looked up Lululemon's revenue. I didn't mm-hmm. look up Under Armour's revenue. But mm-hmm. before I looked up Lululemon's revenue today, I would have always said said Under Armour. Yeah, yeah, wow. like just by so you have one data point, which is you know how I much I have Lu- one data. Yeah, and I was
0: like, and just yeah, <laughs> were you surprised when you saw how much Lululemon makes? Yes, I was really surprised there by the score. Crazy. So, just to reveal now, it's eight billion. Dollars, okay, and Under Armour it's five point eight, so it's not wow. even a small difference; it's huge.
2: Yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? I think if I wasn't so familiar with Lululemon, I would have never ever had them anywhere near.
0: No, neither. I
1: would have given them maybe a billion. Exactly. Okay, so let's go
0: to the next sample. Let's see how does Lululemon. So does Lululemon or Puma have have more revenue?
2: I a Puma.
1: I, I, I'm i countering Lululemon.
0: <laughs> okay, I mean, it's very, very close. So Puma has 8.9 billion and Lululemon has 8.1 billion. Wow. So that for me was a huge close. surprise. I I thought Puma is much bigger than Lululemon, but it's basically just
1: 10% difference. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And wow. Puma is founded oh, f- 40s, 1940s? Yeah, it was the same time as and I did. Let look us. it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. have
0: a look. Okay, next one. Let's go into a different industry. So does Zoom... 1948. So the video conferencing company? Sorry. 1948. Okay. Does Zoom or Lululemon have more revenue?
1: Mm.
2: God, Zoom. Like, I'm going to go Zoom.
1: Okay. Front. Yeah. Lululemon. I don't know. I have no idea what Zoom, but if they have more than 8 billion in revenue, then I am, no,
0: I don't know. You're correct. So uh, Zoom has 4.4 billion and Lululemon has 8.1. What about Slack? Lululemon. Lululemon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That is probably the easiest one and the biggest Delta. What about Spotify? So Spotify Spotify or Lululemon? Spotify. You, you made it sound like it's a big
2: difference. I think it is. I, I bet it's not based on yeah. what you've just said, <laughs> your,
0: your um, tone. But um, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a considerable difference, but I'd still thought it's much bigger. So Spotify has 12.3 billion in revenue and Lululemon has 8.1. Yeah. It's still,
2: t- you know, it's, it's I mean, we're talking four, four, yeah. 4 billion, but it was a lot, but closer than you'd, you'd think, I guess. Yeah.
0: In relative terms, it's still like Lululemon is huge. Mm. It's much bigger than I expected it to be, especially like thinking about tech all the time. I, you know, I just felt like Zoom is definitely bigger. Spotify is much bigger, but like it's just unbelievable big. a Little Lemon is. Uh, by the way, all the data I shared is twenty twenty two data. So right, just FYI. And yeah, just just for comparison, Adidas Adidas is twenty four billion, and Nike is forty six billion. So Nike is still like way ahead. Uh, from all of these. Um, the next thing is I just quickly had a look at also their growth with revenue. It's not just important how much uh, revenue a certain company uh, has, but also like how fast it's growing. And usually with companies that are this big, you can you see like single digit growth. I don't know five percent, six percent, like eight, nine would already be a lot. And Lululemon grew by thirty percent from 2021 to 2022. So from 6.2 billion to 8.1 billion.
1: That's also a reason why I thought they have like 800 million in revenue. <laughs> <Yeah>. Because if <laughs> somebody grows like four, 30%, this usually means they're either digital yeah, or exactly. small. That's <laughs> but the physical thing, like, and big is not like, yeah. it usually doesn't have 30% growth. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's hard to scale 30% with hardware. I'm saying hardware, obviously not like a computer, but it's still like a physical product.
1: Do we know,
2: I don't know if you want to touch on what might have been the driver of that kind of growth?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, it's the way I see it is like bigger trends. So with COVID, everybody just started working from home. So obviously you also start for home wearing different clothes. That's one thing. Another thing is uh, just in general, like the growth of uh, these Yoga, sports, or like, I don't know how to call them, functional sports, mm. you know, not like the traditional team sports. Um, that's definitely another one. Um, the growth of e-commerce, I think, opened up. Oh, it's also their focus on like, um, oh, they're really, really opening a lot of stores every year. Uh, like At the moment, they have 655 stores in 18 countries. Half of them are in the US, but like 120 are in China. Uh, they have more stores than Apple. Apple has 500 stores. They have more stores than Ikea. Ikea has 400 stores. And they have more stores than Whole Foods, which has 500 supermarkets. By the way, do you know, fun fact, which company in the world has the most stores? (sighs) The most stores.
2: Is it going to be something like 7-Eleven or...
0: 711. Uh, wow, that's a that's really good. Wow. Very good. Yeah. Nice one. <laughs> Very good guess. I would have gone for McDonald's probably like.
2: Oh yeah, Mac- McDonald's. But of it's
0: 40,000. Yeah. It's not right. Damn. Yeah. Uh I just love playing with numbers. It just tells me so much. Mm. Yeah.
2: It really sets an incredible context for a brand that like like you say just a lot of people it would not even be on their radar um but enormous and just just crazy numbers and that growth is just incredible Mm. i don't know how much of that is attributed as well i don't know if either of you're going to touch on this but they acquired um a fitness hardware company i think a couple years mirror Mm. yeah and for like 500 million um because off of like you mentioned alan the sort of covid trend for working out more at home it's a premium thing like peloton um where it's like this this mirror that all like plays fitness routines and things like that, and gives you feedback, you can see yourself in it. It's pr- pretty cool, but yeah. I don't know how much of that has kind of been a, an engine of growth for them.
0: I didn't see this breakdown within the annual report, maybe there is, but I just didn't see it. Um, so I don't have this data, mm. yeah, yeah. But if they invested 500 million in it, they probably expect a good chunk of return, yeah. <laughs> Then well, after I I, you, I check their revenue, I obviously also want to check company's profitability just to get a sense for how it's doing there. And their net income is 10%. So 850 million after taxes, which is also pretty, pretty impressive for a company Again, that's doing physical products. Yeah, physical yes. company, mm. a physical exactly. product. Yeah, because those are many times in single-digit uh, profit margins, like between... Mm. I don't know, three and seven percent, but ten is like that's above above average. It's really good. Not as good as like tech products again, but still this is amazing.
2: Would you put that down to them being like really vertically integrated, like owning so many steps in
0: could you know, be, parts but of it? it's also I think because they can charge a really premium price. I You're think right. that's as long as they are able to charge, you know, such a markup, mm. they are gonna be successful. As soon as this goes away for whatever the reason, and we're going to talk about these potential reasons in a bit, then it's going to be problematic because they have a huge cost structure, but at the moment it just works for them. In other words, like if you have a 10% profitability, you know that if you would decrease your prices by 10%, you would be, you know, you would break even. You would not be profitable anymore. So them not having to sh- have any discounts, just you know. Uh, also place into this. As soon as they would have to have discounts, this would then become problematic potentially. Mm. Mm, maybe as a last bit for the finance is um, I also love to have a look at interesting KPIs or KPIs that are industry, industry specific. So maybe things that I usually wouldn't check because I just, I'm not in this industry, so I don't know what typically these companies measure. So There's one KPI that companies that have stores uh, really pay attention to, and it's called same store sales. In other words, comparable store sales. So it's a KPI that measures store and compares basically stores to stores. It means they only compare stores after 12 months of being at a certain location, and then they compare only comparable stores. The reason you want to have that <laughs> to not confuse you even more is because <laughs> you could actually grow your revenue just by opening more stores, but actually per store, you're generating less and less revenue. So you actually want to have a certain uh, denominator at the bottom to really double check, are is our revenue growing or at least being stable per store or is it going down? So you want to compare, I don't know, uh, a certain size of a store with another certain size of a store and see, you know, is our growth uh, or at least being stable, you know, is the revenue regenerating per store uh, stable or not? Or is it growing? Is that comparing, sorry, is that
2: comparing the same brand? So comparing a Lululemon store of a certain size with another city?
0: So for example, Lululemon compares its 10 stores in New York, which are all of comparable size, to... 10 stores that are, I don't know, open in China. Right. But at the same time, they also compare it with, I don't know, a newly opened store in Germany. And what they want to see, okay, is this comparable size of the store in Germany? Is it, you know, helping us also sell more or is it selling less? And so you take all of these comparable stores together and then you see, is the trend upwards or downwards?
2: Okay. Okay interesting
0: yeah what you're trying to just prevent here is like us adding more and more stores just for the sake of growing revenue but actually each additional store is generating less in itself mm. because then you have diminishing return of opening more mm. stores yeah and this is for them actually still going up so it went from 16 to 90 percent in terms of the growth uh, yeah I think that's enough for of numbers for one podcast <laughs> It's good. No, no,
2: nice research. And it was 2022 numbers, Alan. So we know you didn't just rely on Chat GPT.
0: Exactly. For that. <laughs> yeah, ChatGPT only gives you September 22 or 21 data. So I did some work for you, dear oh, listeners. Thanks. Shall we jump in the last bucket? So mm, the idea. last bucket is about what Tom. Is about
2: how can they continue to win, which they clearly are um, or be profitable, what are their threats mm. um yeah, because France, when you were introducing kind of kind of how they've managed to grow and position themselves, a lot of those things, like we said, have become very uh i don't want to say very common but very reproduced mm. by other brands. Uh, not just in mm-hmm. fitness, but um, across across the landscape. So, yeah, how do they how do they maintain that position?
1: Good one. How should we do? It? Who has prepared for this? <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> I haven't prepared for it. I'm not going to say whose name was against this section, but we can it's we can just go us. to a little uh, round table.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: uh, I was just wanted to find a format. So uh, everybody yes. throws their guesses in what they think are threats and what they think they okay. need to do or how should how should we do this?
0: Maybe everybody uh, just that's... choose the biggest one or it should be all like, because otherwise we're going to be super long.
1: So everybody throws in the biggest threat that they think that they have.
0: Yeah. And if another person has already thrown the biggest one, then you go with your second biggest yeah. threat. Okay. So we're going to let you go first, Tom.
2: Thanks. Biggest, I think the biggest threat I think, I mean, the biggest threat for their business, I think, is probably expanding too much into other um, other areas outside of their core. Um, I don't know if you were looking like specifically a threat from a specific brand, but they seem to be expanding into areas that I'm not sure they can win quite so ra- um, readily yeah. and will have invested heavily. So they're starting to water down that. Um, that that arena that they own, mm. right? They've just gone into footwear and man, that's a tough, tough one yeah. to compete Um That's in. such so I an think-
1: interesting one, right? So you are huge. So somehow you c- need to grow outside of your market, which inherently lets you lose why you became successful, which is mm. starting out from a niche. And you have you seen like I just stumbled over this but stock price after announcement of going into footwear no really yeah, really went right. down so mm. apparently also analysts the market they were not happy with an expansion into footwear because they felt like mm. Mm, yeah it's a growth market and that's true and somehow like obviously stock traded companies need to grow that's their thing they do um but apparently they wished investors wished they would grow within their um domains and not go too broad because that means delusion. i agree with that one
2: Mm. yeah interesting i think footwear is like tough to compete with those two biggies that you talked about but also footwear is a notoriously expensive area to keep innovating in tooling distribution design um and particularly in the area they're working in in performance, the amount of research that goes into developing really good performance footwear. I mean, they've got obviously the funds to do that, but it was it's an enormous um, amount of investment that means it's going to have to take a fair bit of focus away from, you would assume, the, the core um, or the core as it has been. So that's interesting.
1: Yeah. True.
0: <clears throat> that's my one. Let you go next, Franz.
1: I build on that and say inflation combined with not being able to justify the higher price point for comparable quality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. on the one hand, you're a little bit diluted already, many other brands popping up. You might have your new favorite small company. And now that people know that Little Lemon is so big, they're maybe like, okay, that's not the thing that I loved anymore. Um, that's huge. And I don't know if that's cool. Um, with the combination of, yeah, generally, world gets expensive and maybe people don't want to um, and can't spend 120 bucks for a leggings so I think this combination with okay alternatives, similar brand image, similar quality, um, and also people being more um, stripped when it comes to money. I think that's a threat.
0: So we have focus and we have economic downturn in a way, right? So I mean the third one, so you took my two, Uh, I'll go with maybe like brand reputation. So I think a company that charges premium, the way Lululemon does, it really relies on having, yeah, just a really good brand reputation. So if there was something, if there is something that either waters down this brand image or whether there's, I don't know, a backlash, you know, that, that would could be detrimental detrimental to the business yeah just for example imagine having one of the suppliers not treating the workers in the right way yeah. or you know somebody finding a story mm-hmm. of this fabric not being as organic as it's advertised or something else yeah I think this in itself just starts to raise questions for people for consumers. And this then combined with um, what front said, which is economic downturn and inflation just could lead to like you know 5% of people buying a little bit less and then you're not profitable anymore or maybe you're like barely profitable. Yeah, mm. Partially, Tom, you covered this brand reputation also with having less focus because branding is all about like being very clear on what you do. Uh, so it depends on what the brand is built around. So if it's built around like, okay, we do this type of product, then extending a product range can be a problem. But if the brand is built on, like, we do things certain way, then you can expand in different things. An example of that is like Virgin, you know, just like the whole story of the brand is like, we do things to certain way and we can expand into different areas. And that's actually our story, but for certain brands, and it does seem based on what the stock price, uh, or at least investors. Uh, communicated to Lululemon when they introduced the uh, the shoes, uh, the shoe line is that maybe, you know, like for them, this at leisure is the space they should stay at, stay in um, because otherwise you are watering down these, this branding. So it doesn't even have to be like a big stain on the brand. It can just be like stretching it, stretching it too thin
1: yeah. the branding. I think these yeah. are two. These are two ends to a continuum. The one, the thing that um, Tom says, I think this is a, let's say, a very slow process that, if not stopped, will s- slowly kill a company. Like you're stretching yourself out too thin. You don't really notice. You think it's okay. You still grow reasonably. Um, but after all, people don't think of your brand anymore like they used to. And the thing that you said, Alan, that's more on the other continuum, like a house of cards falling down. Like if they fuck up something mm-hmm. that's connected to their values, I think that's that can have huge impact because a lot of their love from their community, which many call cult, <laughs> is built mm-hmm. on like value-driven relations, right? Um, and they position themselves as a company. Um, who follows these values. And if something happens, and that's what I referred to actually in the beginning, um, there was already some weird stuff happening. Like 2013, they had Mm. quality issues and then a lot of people complained and then their founder, like this chap, how was he called again?
2: Uh, Chip Wilson.
1: Chip Wilson, he said that he thinks that this is due due to women's bodies and movement. And not due yeah. to manufacturing defects. So that was already like mm-hmm. that was oh, 2013. So cheap. if this is a public, when when did they go public 2007 2007? Okay. Yeah. So I am no, I, I don't have statement exactly. I, I haven't <laughs> checked actually how like what the stock price did with this devastating like statement. Yeah. But I think now this is even more. Mm. This can have Social even media. more, um, yeah. can even have more impact. If you like, and when I say fuck up, I don't mean like you made a small mistake, but obviously these, th- these things are major, mm. majorly wrong. And some examples brought by Alan are the ones that can really uh, pull a company like this down. Because honestly, it won't pull Nike down.
2: No. But it- I mean, you've only got to look at like... Nike have had some yeah. controversies with some of their collaborators recently. Um, yeah. Even Adidas with like Kanye West. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's had a massive impact on their profitability, but they have enough diversity in their portfolio that means that it's
1: going to be a And their brand is not built time. on value-driven, right? But yeah. if your brand is built on value-driven um, business and yeah. then you, I don't know, <laughs> then you um, make mistakes in that, that can have even bigger impact.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, those comments, they are like really misguided comments that he made uh, back in the day. And I think he had to step down after those. And yeah, 2013, less competition in the market. You make like comments like that now, like there's so much more competition. You are, you know, yeah if people are going to flock away from you there's plenty of other options now so yeah i think Mm. you're absolutely right that could be a real real threat those kind of those kind of things if they crop up again
0: Mm. but let's end on a positive note and talk about (laughs) opportunities so maybe i can share one and then uh, uh you can do the same if you have anything so on the flip side tom of like what's another way to grow? So instead of you growing into new product categories, you can just grow into new geographic locations. So I had a look at where they have stores. And obviously like US seems to be well covered. 300 through 30 or 50 stores, just crazy. 120 stores in China. There's plenty of stores around Europe as well. But then you have these up and coming markets like in the last episode we talked about or two episodes back we talked about India being a huge up and coming market and they have zero stores there. So looking for these, so like putting yourselves in the shoes of the, of the founder in 1998, like, okay, where is maybe the market, in which locations, maybe the market at this stage that US was in, or Canada was in 1998, and you may find new also like locations. Um the problem there may be like can you actually charge the premium price in uh, the same way, but I imagine with like these big metropolitan cities, you can always find the the the, the customer target that you're looking for and what mm. tells me that this is possible is having hundred they have hundred and twenty ish stores in China mm.
2: yeah there's there's you know emerging middle classes and um wealthy classes in a lot of lot of places now right where there is going to be although it might be a smaller smaller market there is going to be some there um i guess yeah it's a difficult one I, i i because and i think chip wilson has made comments about this of like this comes back the whole growth at all costs thing right i don't want to turn the podcast into a um uh, that that topic but i i wouldn't I, can we can we put a cap on yeah, on on, mean, on this stuff right i know it goes yeah. to the core of the kind of the, you know being a publicly limited company and and that ethos but I, I know that that is not something that him as the former founder um buys into and it's part of the reason why they're going into footwear, and it's short termist. Yes, going to give your shareholders a lot of value, but long term, not so good. So I, I would want them to your point, Alan. Maybe to yeah, look for those those new geographical markets and maybe pull in the the, the product line um, uh, expansion. But no. yeah, it sounds like India might might be a, a, a place, um, South America maybe, but yeah. Mm. I don't know. To be really honest with you, but I'd prefer that the, that that was the that was the strategy than than um, going going massively broad and watering down the offering.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I go with diversifying into services and do. This is why I like the mirror acquisition. Mm-hmm. So. I believe that diversifying into other products and sports is pushed to the boundaries. And this is why I think this, um, having this, they call it Lululemon Studio now, having subscriptions to that. Firstly, I mean, this is selling devices. So it's again, a hardware product, but then it's about Subscriptions, it's about being part of trainings. It helps them also build a community. So it's basically, I think, reinforcing the business model because they, you can do sports online together. You're not only, you can not only do something with a trainer, but you can also do it in group with this mirror thing. So I think it's from a revenue stream perspective, very interesting. Um, it is not only digital, but still. I don't know if I would only ref- um, I w- if I would only bet on the hardware product, but maybe there is a fully digital way of having this Lululemon studio too, um, and I would go into services. That's a good one,
0: yeah. So let's wrap it up with a one. I have one question for both of you, and I'll also answer, which is: This was almost like an investor relations. Uh, call, right? So somebody going and doing an analysis of a company, and it could be seen as investment advice. Disclaimer, this is for entertainment purposes only. But yeah, Hmm. I'm gonna ask you a question, which is in this position, after having done some of the research and us talking out through this, and without looking the price of the company, just like in general, are you buying the stock? Are you selling? Or are you just holding? I'm happy to go first. And this 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 is, comes
2: from a person who's been a big fan of the brand for a while. I think I would be... I think I'd be selling. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh,
0: Tom. That's straight into the heart. Soz. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll
2: let Franz go. But
0: yeah. why? Why?
2: But why? Yes. Um, I think for the reasons that we talked about around um, state of the economy. Like even me as I like somebody who really loves the the brand, if I'm going to be buying some stuff soon, it's really hard to justify those prices right now. So I'm going to be looking out for comparable quality, different brands, and I consider myself like quite into them as a brand. Mm-hmm. So I think that speaks volumes for, for me. Um, but this whole diversification into footwear and like just from a aesthetic level the footwear is not doing it for me. No offense to anyone who loves sketches, but it gives me big sketches energy. And I don't, <laughs> I don't the see <laughs> that as the, the kind of brand vibe, up. man. Like yeah. it's just not doing it for me at all. And um, I, I think it's going to be a big detractor um, as far as back brand equity and and style and design that have been such so central to, to being, being appealing.
1: Brands? I'm also a sell Selling. I'm maybe a b- holder. I'm definitely not buying, but I also need to admit I obviously had a pr- uh, look at the share price in preparation <laughs> of this call, and I was like, <laughs> what?
0: Yeah, but at the same time, like the stock price always depends on how many stocks no.
1: are yeah, and market cap,
0: yes, mm. market cap is fifty billion, so yeah it's it's not nothing, and it it's good. What about you, Alan? What are you doing? Hmm, it's a hard one. I mean, on the, I think I would be a buyer on a short term, maybe for like a year or two years, but since I don't like buying things on the short term, I probably just would halt or not buy, um, because I think it has a potential to still keep growing because of everything that has happened, uh, over the last two years, there's a lot of still wind in their, how would you say sales mm-hmm. and, At the same time, luxury products are usually able to still raise prices during inflation. Um, A lot of luxury products can do this. The question is, can Lula Lemon do it? So I think it could weather the storm. So I'm not so concerned about the economic downturn and the short short view. I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it has more ways it could go wrong than a company like Nike or... Yeah, even a company that's not built around values, because at this stage, this is also very risky for this size of the company being on a public market and not being like and for this kind of company, apparel, apparel, Mm. yeah, yeah, because we've seen it with Patagonia, like they're privately owned and they've been at one billion revenue for a few years, and but it doesn't matter, right? They can be. I mean, it's 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 a great business. Why? Yeah, why push it? Mm. So. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'm going to go with uh, Holt.
2: Cool. We're not bullish on Lily Lemon <laughs> after all that. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I in the beginning of the research, I was like, wow, this is really, really nice. But now in the end, I'm just yeah, I'm not, not super convinced anymore.
1: But we also didn't tear it down in this sense of the word, right? Mm-hmm. Because yes. I actually wish that we also have one season where we tear it down like tear down the company in like the sense of the word tearing it down Uh, because it's like
2: yeah i'm sure we'll find some yeah i'm really looking forward to this because i mean here
1: you can understand it both ways and i was like preparing this i was like that's not really turning tearing it down that's like pep talk they did a good job in their (laughs) their strategy yeah yeah
2: no you're right i think um something for us to yeah moving forward Got, got our critical eye on 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 things a lot more. I think we you know we've sort of explored that a little bit at the end, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll find it. We'll get our opportunities to go to town on that, friends.
1: Cool. So uh,
0: we'll pick the next company, or if you have an idea for which company we should do next, you can also reach yeah. out to us. Mm-hmm. Give us uh, your
1: sweetheart, and we'll tear it apart. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Drop
0: your suggestions on YouTube below this video, or you can also just write to us at hello at d.mba, and uh, yeah, we may do it. But if you stuck with us for an hour and 20 minutes, we think you may also enjoy our email course. It's a seven day free email course called Mini MBA, so you can subscribe to it at D.mba slash mini MBA. And what it essentially is, is like you sign up and over the, over seven days, you get seven emails, each of them teaching you, uh, business, uh, frameworks relevant to the work of designers. Some of them also covered in this, uh, episode, but we go deeper also in the emails into how to use them in your work. So if you're interested in this, head over to D.mba slash mini MBA. Cool. I think that's it. Thanks, Franz. Thanks, Tom. See you in the next one. Thank you both. Cheers. Bye-bye.